Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcast blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we are rewinding back all the way to September the 12th, 2018. That doesn't sound that long ago, but it's uh, almost five years. Uh, today's episode was originally episode 2290, Derek Boodle, on defending families from CPS. Uh, that would be Child Protective Services. If you've never heard about some of the extreme abuses within the world of CPS... That may strike you as odd that we would need to protect families from CPS. Let me let me phrase it a different way. And and immediately, if this is if you're new to this, and this is a really important topic, it's why I chose it for today's rewind. Um, instead of thinking of it as child protective services, which is a name, so instead of thinking about what was done after 9/11 to spy on Americans and have massive oversight that's completely unconstitutional into their private lives. Instead of calling that the Patriot Act, you should talk about the government surveillance program for American citizens pretending to be for foreign terrorists. Right? Then you're like, oh, yeah, I can see where that would go wrong. So instead of thinking of this as Child Protective Services, which is a clever marketing brand, uh, and, and I'm sure that they do, at times, help kids who are in really bad situations. It's not always what you're going to hear about today, but it's often what you're going to hear about today, and it's horrific. Think of it as government employees making sure your kids are treated the way the government thinks they should be treated by you and stealing them from you if they disagree. Because that's what it is. Now, I want to tell you what made me choose this for a rewind. I don't generally pick interviews as my rewind shows. But I just got an email this morning, and this is Monday the 15th that I'm recording this for Thursday of this week while I'm down in Bastrop. And this should be the only rewind you get this week because I do have an interview book. I had an interview booked for yesterday. Um, I don't know if things go crazy after I'm done with this. I might end up doing a rewind Tuesday. So if I was wrong, numbers are out of sequence. But anyway, this should be the only rewind you get this week. There should be a expert panel show tomorrow for you guys. So just one rewind this week while I'm off in Bastrop. But I got this email and I was thinking I need one this week. And Vince sent this and he said... Um, I, this was, I had sent him an email, uh, and said, Hey, your, your MSB expired. If you want to renew and get your discount back, here's how. And I try to do that for people. If I ever miss you and you have an expired account and you had a pre-existing discount and you didn't cancel PayPal screws up or something, I'll always give it to you back. But here's what he said. Thanks for the heads up, Jack. I've resubscribed. Thank you for all you do. I've been listening since about 2011. And I always find something that helped me from your show. One short antidote is that I had listened to the episode where you interviewed someone on how to defend yourself against ACS. Now, that is the New York State equivalent to what is largely known as CPS in most states. So it's the same thing. Unfortunately, I ran into a situation where I got a knock on the door because my kid's therapist falsely reported me. I used the tactics from that interview to effectively fight and win against them. They threw out the case. And that starts with, no, you're not coming in the house. right? No, you don't need to come in here. because it, And you'll hear this from our guest from 2018, Derek Boodle, today. On any given day, anybody's house can be kind of in disarray, especially if you have kids. Um, our house, 
looks really good in the morning, and it looks really good in the afternoon when the kids leave. And it's a complete mess of toys and stuff everywhere in the middle of the day. And if you happen to have, like, dirty dishes and stuff like this, this is all ammunition these people can use against you. What you'll hear today is these people, even though they're government employees, are actually incentivized in their pay structure and their advancement to take as many children away from parents as possible. You see, that shows they're doing their job. What could go wrong? This is a horrific, horrific thing. And it leverages a part of the court system that most people, fortunately, will never see, but therefore they don't understand it. It doesn't work like when you're on trial because you're accused of a crime where you're presumed innocent until proven guilty. It doesn't work that way. It's an insider's network. It's a judge that listens to somebody who he thinks is the good guy. He's going to pretty much do whatever they say, especially if they're given the ammunition that many people give them under the false pretense that you have to let them in. You have to do, like, you're going to learn all about the state. You're also going to learn about a book called Defending the Innocent from Child Protective Services. I think the hard copy of that book is like five or nine bucks or something like that. If you have Kindle Unlimited, the Kindle version is free. This is incredibly important. I want you to listen to today's episode, and I want you to really commit to memory the tactics in it, and I want you to really consider reading the book, especially if you can get it for free on Unlimited. And the reason I want you to do that, even if you have no children, if you're past this state, you may find it necessary to advise friends or family about this. This can happen to anybody. Let me, And I think I talked about it in this episode. I hadn't had time to re-listen to the thing, which I often do for Rewind, so... I'm shooting from the hip here, but I think I told this story at some point in this episode. But there was a day that we had our kids, our grandkids, I don't even think, Tegan might not have been born yet, but Braylon was really little, like three, three and a half, maybe four years of age. And he was throwing an absolute tantrum in a parking lot. So... Uh, I think Matthew had actually taken him, my son had taken him out of the store to let him have his tantrum and let him get over it and take him back into the store when he settled the hell down. And this is like a perfect way to handle this. But there were people, there was like a couple like shadowing him and watching him as though he was somehow abusing his kid just because the kid was throwing a tantrum. Now, he kind of picked up on this and didn't, I don't think he went to where his car was so they didn't have like a license plate number or something like that. But imagine that. These people thinking they're helping. See this kid throwing an apple? And you know how kids can be. Like, my my son would never harm his kids in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, three-year-olds throw tantrums in stores. So imagine these people decide this must be an abusive situation. They make a phone call. I saw this guy abusing his son. Here's his license plate number. The, the, the unmitigated disaster that can unleash on a family. And I also want you to take from this another thing. If you see kids that you think might have an issue, that might require assistance, that might be in an abusive situation, you really need to be sure before you add the state to that mix. Now, again, I'm sure there are times when children are being physically abused or sexually abused, which is also a form of physical abuse on top of it, right? Or something like that. Or kids are being starved or something like that. Like, I'm sure these things exist, and I'm sure at times, as bad as the state solution is, it's better than the child remaining in place. But you really need to think here. 
The same way that I always teach that you need to think before you call the police on somebody. When you point a cop at somebody, you're pointing a gun at somebody. You need to think about it that way. Would I point a gun, if it were legal for me to do so, would I go over to this person and confront them while armed, and not just because you carry all the time, but like you would let them know you're armed. Because when a cop comes in and confronts you, you know the cop's armed, right? Would I go with a weapon to deal with this situation myself if police weren't available and if I was permitted by law to do so? And if you wouldn't, you really need to think hard before you involve the police because the seemingly simple um, encounter with law enforcement can turn deadly, and it sometimes does. You could, the cop you point at him with no idea that's what you're doing could be a guy that got served for divorce that morning and his whole life is falling apart and he's just had it. And then that guy pops off a little bit, not enough to deserve any kind of physical abuse, but next thing you know, the guy's beaten, tased, shot arrested, and that was never what you wanted. You just wanted that little thing that was annoying. You might want to talk to the guy first. And I have found in that situation, let's say that the neighbor has loud music playing. Usually if you confront that neighbor while that loud music's playing, assuming, yeah, it's not 3 o'clock in the morning, you need to work or something like that, right? But if you can tolerate it that day, and then you talk to them when the, when the problem's not there and say, hey, man, last night you guys really had the music up loud. I didn't say anything, but it was really a bit loud. Do you think maybe the next time you have a group like that, you, you, you could tone it down a little bit for me or something? You know? And that way, if it happens again and you, you, know, you know the guy's number or something, you give him a call and say, hey, dude, um, you know, remember we talked about this? A lot of times, neighbors will accommodate you. A lot of times, they don't realize it's that loud. A lot of times, you know, when you're hosting a party or something, like... Your guests are the problem. And when you say, hey, man, the neighbor called. We don't want the cops coming here. Let's, let's, let's tone this down a bit. It'll work. And I think it's far more essential to be diplomatic when talking to somebody about their kids. Because a lot of people that are doing things to their kids that maybe they shouldn't be, they don't realize it. Now, I'm not saying there's an excuse. I'm saying that they're going to they're gonna immediately go into full defensive mode. you know. And So I don't know exactly how to handle that discussion. But I think... Maybe not even going directly at it, but just talking to them and getting to know what's going on without sounding like you're interrogating them. You may uncover that what you perceive to be a problem really isn't. Like, the kid was screaming because he didn't get to have dessert. And you thought the kid was being beaten. right? Or the kid was throwing a fit in a parking lot and you thought the guy was being abusive. And the kid was throwing a fit because he was told he couldn't have a toy because it was too close to Christmas. Which I think was what was going on with my grandson at the time. Be careful with this. And so really listen to this and realize that, in my opinion, child protective services cannot be trusted. And they are the finite, absolute, end-of-the-line, last resort. And I have, when I played this episode, I had some people angry with me. You know what? None of them ever had an encounter with CPS. None of them worked for CPS. None of them were part of the family court system that destroys families through CPS. They were all people that just, oh, they're doing the best they can. But no, no. And there's way too much information available about everything you're about to hear being, in fact, real. And we have to remember that it is likely that nobody raises their children in a way that we raise our children, that we all have our unique things, we all have our own strengths and weaknesses as parents, and we all make mistakes as parents. And 
That doesn't mean that that parent is not a loving, caring parent. When somebody starts abusing children physically, emotionally abusing children, um, I've seen horrible things, then intervention is necessary in some means. But just a difference of opinion is not something that you need to be involving Karens and Kyles from the state who are incentivized to essentially kidnap children. I'll just tell you that I vetted this guest really hard before I brought him on five years ago. Everything he's going to tell you is true, and this is incredibly important information. And if you know people, especially that are new parents, this would be a great episode to share with them, even if they have no interest in preparedness. It is a preparedness topic because you damn well better be prepared for a knock at a door from the state, whether it's some sort of criminal investigation, some sort of a, you know, a, a peripheral investigation, and you think you're just helping the police, but you end up getting pulled into it. Like, basically, don't talk to the police without a lawyer, ever, you know, just don't. It's not a good idea. You can never trust what they're telling you. And then everything I just said about cops in general, this, when you deal with CPS, multiply it by 10. With that, let's go ahead and rewind all the way back to September of 2018, originally episode 2290, Derek Boodle on Defending Families from CPS. And again, this, this is a five-year-old episode that just helped a person avoid this crap, avoid this nightmare today. That's why I decided to rewind it. And remember, while I don't do commercials during uh, rewind episodes, you can always help support the survival podcast and the work we do just by starting your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. So, anyway, with that, we have uh, wrapped up the intro segment. I want to bring our special guest on now. Again, his name is Derek Boodle. Uh, He is a psychologist and therapist turned author. Uh, His book, again, is called Defending the Innocent from CPS, and it is on uh, Amazon. I have links in the show notes. Uh, He's here to talk to us today about assisting people and keeping their kids away from the government. Uh, If there's ever been a modern survival topic, Boy, that's one. And with that, hey, Derek, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Jack. I, I think this is an incredibly important subject. I've been doing this show now for about 10 years, and I've had questions related to CPS come in from time to time. It's something that I said during my intro segment today. I, I feel very blessed that I have no experience with it. Uh, the more I hear, the more frightening it is. Uh, I think one of our guests reached out to you due to a recent question and said, hey, get in touch with these folks. So I'm very, very happy to have you with us today on the subject. Before we dig in there, though, Derek, I like to get my guests connected with my audience so they know who the person is. Take me back. I don't know. You're in study hall, junior year in high school or something, trying to figure out how to ask a girl across the hall from you out or something <laughs> like that. And then you know, now you are this advocate uh, working to help protect families from a predatory state. How, how do those two worlds get together? Well, uh, study hall in high school, I pretty much just sat alone and kind of just kept to myself. I really didn't have much connection with anybody. Um, very smart kid. Everybody was always like, wow, you, you know, you got good grades and you're not studying. And I was like, I don't see the point of studying if I'm still getting good grades. <laughs> so... I've actually had a couple of my teachers that would that would yell at me like, "You need to do your homework, or else you're not going to pass this class." Well, if I can pass the test, I'm going to pass the class. So, boy, you, you sound like <laughs> me, dude. You really do. <laughs> so, so uh, ended up going to college, 
uh, decided to do pre-med. Halfway through, switched to psychology. Um, had a fascination with it. Uh, did 20 years as a, as a therapist. I have a master's of psychology from Texas A&M in Kingsville. Also got a, a master's of business administration from the University of Rhode Island. So, um, yeah, I, I was doing therapy, working with individuals at a uh, community mental health center, and uh, one of the clients came up to me and asked for my help. And, uh, you know, I started talking to him, and he told me this story about Child Protective Services and what happened to him. Um, they came... Well, he was bipolar, and he didn't know he was bipolar. It was his first uh, incident, and the neighbors called the police and DCYF because he had a wife and kid. The um, the police took him to the hospital to get onto proper medication, and DCYF got involved with his wife. While he was in the hospital, they went over to uh, his wife, who had a bit of a learning issue, and said, if, if you do not sign papers to have a protective custody order on your husband, we're going to take your kid and just flat out surrender. And so, you know, what was she to do? She didn't know any better. So she signed the protective order thinking, okay, well, I'll be able to keep my kid and then I'll be able to fight that later. So my client gets the notice while he's in the hospital recovering from his first bout of mania that he's now homeless and he's also familyless. He's not allowed to go within 50 feet of the home. He's not allowed to see his daughter. He's not allowed to see his wife. Now, I talked to his wife and his wife was like, yeah, I, I didn't feel threatened about it at all. It was all so that I could keep my daughter. And so I, you know, I looked through his record and uh, through his record, I saw that he was with us for about a year and he was uh, taking his meds. He was working with us. He was doing counseling. He was, he was really trying. And so I said, okay, you know, I'll go and I'll try to testify for you. I'll tell them that you're doing, a, you know, that you're doing great and that we don't see you as a danger and we'll see about maybe getting you visitation or, you know, start to reunify the family. And we went to court. <laughs> and you can tell by my voice how, how well this went. Um, they basically handed my ass to me on a silver tray. Hmm. They, um, they didn't care that he was stable. They didn't care that he was um, going through therapy. They didn't like the fact that he had threatened him, them while he was in a manic state and they were not going to change their mind. Because of that incident, I became a, uh, an advocate for families who have CPS issues. And that was back in 2001. And I've been doing it as kind of a side job. You know, not even a job. I don't get paid for it. I go in and I help people. I take a look at their cases, try to understand, you know, what what happened, how did they get into this position, what are the what's CPS accusing, and see if we can't either find evidence to work around it or see if there's some way to at least maintain a connection with the children while CPS is involved. Yeah, I've been doing that off and on since 2001. Um, but recently, I've been in the process of writing it for about two years and what had happened was is I became disabled. Um, I, I have uh, degenerative disc disease and if any of your listeners have that, I'm sorry you're going through the same thing I am because that shit hurt. Um, so I was uh, sitting around and I was like, you know what, this is really bothering me that, you know, I have all this information and all this experience regarding protective services but i'm not doing anything with it so i ended up just putting it down on paper and it ended up becoming defending the innocent from child protective services my book since then uh things have kind of taken off yeah, the book has only been out for maybe four months and i now have uh, about i have four specific clients that i'm working with right now and i help people on the website uh fight cps and know your rights um within the past four months i must have helped 300 people with their cases 
Um, that's basically it in a nutshell. Okay, so let's kind of talk about how this this whole thing starts for people. I read an article of yours today on Facebook that I was really impressed with, and I kind of want to talk through some of the stuff that I picked up there. And, and one is, what makes them show up in the first place? You kind of mentioned it with your, your first exposure to this, but can you talk a little bit more about mm -hmm. why you get that knock on the door anyway? Because I think a lot of people think that, like, well, you must have done something wrong. And in this case, at least to be a little tiny bit fair to the system, which I don't like to do at all, at least the guy did have a legitimate problem, right? He had a, it, was a, it was a manageable problem, but he had a problem. I've known people who've gotten that knock that are the best parents you could find on the planet. You don't need to have a problem. Somebody else needs to have a problem. And that's one of the problems with the system. All it takes for DCYF to come knocking on a person's door is a phone call from a doctor, a teacher, a gruntled ex, you know, um, somebody who, you know, like a neighbor who sees your kids outside playing and doesn't like that they're outside playing. It can be from anybody. Um, most people don't think that DCYF or CPS is going to be showing up at their front door because we all consider ourselves good parents. But it's not about the way we see ourselves as parents. It's the way other people see us as parents. And if there's something like, you know, a bruise or a misunderstanding between that child and the teacher, all they have to do, and some people have to do it, And it's mandatory. They just pick up the phone. They call CPS. They don't have to give their name. They don't have to give any identification whatsoever. And they make a complaint. Now, that complaint goes into the system, and it has um, it has a couple of tiers. Is it an emergency situation? Is it an urgent situation? Or is it just a, um, a standard situation? Regardless, you know, they're, they're going to go and research and find out what's going on with the family, regardless of which tier it is. The tier just means how fast they're going to get out there. If it's, a, if it's an emergency, like, you know, somebody says that they're beating a child, they're going to be out there within the hour. You know, if it's something like neglect, they might take their time. But they do have to investigate. And in all fairness to Child Protective Services, they do have to go out there. You know, it wouldn't be fair to the child to say, well, we didn't think it was important over the phone. However, the fact that anybody can call should put everybody on alert because with that you know somebody who just wants to do you harm can just make that one phone call and they can put your life in turmoil for the next three to four years when they do show up most people are caught off guard they really have no idea of what to do because they've never thought of it like i said we all think of ourselves as good parents why would we need to prepare for this but they do show up and they they do get false positives and i work with them all the time when they do show up at the door you know there's some rules that The, that a person needs to follow and there's an understanding that the rules that you would use for police are not the same rules that you would use for DCYF or Child Protective Service. So, I mean, let's go through that. So, I'm, I'm sitting here, let's say I'm younger than I am now. I'm an old man now. I got grandkids, you know. But let's say I, I, back when I had my, my son at home, he was a minor. Door knocks. Hi, I'm, you know, blah blah from Child Protective Services. We've received a complaint. What mm -hmm. do I do at that moment right now? Because I know they're going to ask to come in the house. And I, I know from reading your work that that's not what they should get to do. But there's a way to handle this, right? Like, because the police, you just yeah. say, do you have a warrant? No, bugger off, right? You, you can't do that with, with CPS. How do I handle that? No. With CPS, the, you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners right now are going, no, just slam the door. They don't need to know. You know, whatever's going on inside your house, you know, to say get a warrant and slam the door. That is the worst thing that you can do. Because if they get a complaint that a child is being abused and, um, The person says, you know, it's belligerent and says, get a warrant. 
they're going to go to their car. They're going to call up the judge and say, we have a report of a, of a child that's being abused. We cannot investigate it. The parent is belligerent and obviously hostile towards us. Can we have the warrant? And the judge will go for the safety of the kid. Absolutely. And then the kid is gone. They, they, they don't even need to knock on the door. They call the police. They, they walk in. They take the kid. They give you the paperwork for the protective order. And now you're fighting to get your child back. So there's better ways of handling it. One way is when they knock on the door and they say, yes, I'm such and such from CPS. You say, okay, walk outside, close the door behind you. That shows a signal that they're not allowed inside your house. They're not allowed to look. And then you ask them, so why are you here? You know, they will start to talk about, well, we just need to talk to you about this or that or this. You know, when they do that, it is the parent's job to get information. Okay, so they're going to tell you why they're here. Well, why specifically are you here? What do you need from me? What do you need from my kid? You need to ask questions. The more questions you ask, the less answers they're going to have. And they're not there to be to disprove the case against you. They're there to prove the case against. So as you're talking to them, make sure that you keep asking questions. Never let them inside the house. And the one that everybody always forgets, you are allowed to record everything that is said on your property. They might object. They might say, no, 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 we can't talk in front of the, you know, in front of the camera. You just say, you know, this is my house and I feel best if it's recorded. That way yeah. I can play it back to myself later and I'm not going to get confused. And if they decide that they don't want to talk in front of the camera, they can leave. But when they leave, that means that they leave without your child. So that that part is very important. And I think there's probably a tactical way to do that that makes sense. Like I see people like fishing cops and stuff on 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 the internet where they're like shoving the camera in their face. Like mm-hmm. you don't do that. You do this really really politely. I'm just making sure yeah. that we're both very clear on what was said. And what I read in your article was you're probably going to see a change in tone from being very threatening to being very reasonable with you at that point because they don't want to mm-hmm. be because what you what I've read about this what I've heard from other people what I've seen in your work is they threaten you because the thing a parent fears the most is the loss of a child there, there's nothing more that they can you know scare a parent more so when they say things like well we'll just take your kid if you don't let us in they really aren't supposed to say that and that's not how it works but if they're not being recorded then I never said that. They just let me in, right? Exactly. Child Protective Services lie. The police lie. They're allowed to lie. It, it's, it's actually been tested in court that they are allowed to lie to you to get the information that they need for their cases. And, yes, if you do not record it and it's your word against theirs, then their, their word wins every time. And when it comes to when you're recording, you need to be on that recording as calm and as pleasant and as easy going as possible. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do when somebody is threatening your kid. And, you know, you've got to you've got to be as calm as you can be. Because you'll see on YouTube a lot of people pull out their cameras and they start yelling at the at the CPS agent. Now when they do that, what they're showing the judge is that yes, they are emotionally out of control, they are emotionally abusive, and they are hostile. Unlike the police these are things that can and will be used against you when it comes to going back to court. Your state of mind makes a difference in court. So you have to be able to show that, yes, you are you are the one who is the calm adult. And hopefully the CPS agent on the you know, on the recording will make a mistake by you know, by threatening, by just blindly threatening. Because 
a lot of times it's just habit for them. Once you do that, you you start getting evidence to prove your innocence. Plus, you've set a a expectation like says so that 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 audio, that video, what have you, is going to be admissible because it's a public person on your property and knowledge that they're being recorded. So if they claim that you were irate or something and you're there being perfectly polite, perfectly reasonable, um, however standing with your rights, and a judge hears that, then he gets to hear what really happened versus what they claim happened. Because I think if it's their word against yours, you're going to lose. But, you know, video doesn't lie. It's it, it, it's accurate. Um, exactly. Can you kind of talk about, you mentioned YouTube, like, the what you see there versus the reality of what really happens. Because I think that, mm-hmm. like, maybe you get a dummy from CPS, and, like, maybe that works out one in a thousand times or something. And then they play that, and, or they show somebody reading the letter of the law back to them like they're a lawyer or something. But that's probably not how most of this stuff goes down. Well, you know, you have to remember that with YouTube, you're only getting a small snippet of what's going on. That, that's not the entire story, and that's that's not the entire case. When those when the CPS agent leaves, they're not gone. They're going to come back. And since they know that you're going to act like that, they're going to come back with a vengeance. So they're going to come back with a warrant. And the police. And the police. And you can spot out all of your rights all day long. You cannot defend them at that point. And that's the problem. At that point, you have to work on your defense. You And saying, well, you can't come into my house because... Uh, the Fourth Amendment says search and seizure. Well, if they have a report of an abused child, that's, that's exigent circumstances. They're going to go in. And just by, and by jumping around and screaming and yelling, you now give them more ammunition to use in court as, you know, this is his mental status. So, yeah, um, you know, when you see those, those cases on YouTube, remember that they're going to come back and you don't see that part. I mean, you, you'll see the good part. Yeah. Where the person is, you know, where the person is like, get the F out of here and you have to, you know, and they read them the riot act and the person is just standing there going, uh huh, uh huh. But that person is taking notes. They're taking mental notes, right? They're, they're listening to what you say and they're going to go back to their car and they're going to write that up. Well, and what I've always said is when you see a confrontation, the calm person's always the one that has the power mm-hmm. in reality and in the situation itself. Like, if, If you think you're in a bad way because you've been captured by some people and some guy walks in and sits down and very calmly says, I think we have a situation. It's horrifying because that person has no doubt about the fact that they're in total control. And Mm -hmm. that CPS agent that you see on YouTube, to me, they're able to be that calm because they're like, well, thank you because this is all I need. Because now I'm going to make a phone call. Now I'm going to get a warrant when the police come and you you start talking about the Fourth Amendment. Cop doesn't even care because he's got a warrant. Now he's got a job to do. The, the, the cop at that point doesn't even have discretion. Like a cop can come to your house and decide, I've got probable cause, but I don't need to. But once there's a warrant issued and he's sent along with that CPS agent, your door's going open, he's going in, the kid's coming out. And that's why that CPS agent just walks away to me because I don't, I don't have a problem now. Now I can get whatever I want. Yeah. They've, you've, given them, you've given them the exact demo that they need. And it happens so often and it's one of those things that I end up having to try to help resolve in court. You know, that it was the situation at the time that was causing them to be, you know, so erratic. And it wasn't, it wasn't the, uh, it's not their normal standard. Um, 
how would you feel if someone came to your yeah. door claiming you abused their kid? I mean, I, I, I get that. Can yeah. you talk about maybe some, some examples of some specific cases that have occurred that you've seen this type of abuse in? Oh, some of the things that, um, that I see is Child Protective Services getting involved with parental custody. Mm. And, and it's, it's horrendous. Because she, what would be um, the motivation of an angry ex-wife to claim that her husband was abusing the kids? Right? Or the they, other way around. They, they don't look at it that way. They go, we have a report, so, you know, this person is reporting that the other one is abusive, so we've got to go in there and investigate. But when they investigate, they're not investigating to find out what's going on. They're investigating to make a case, and that's a big difference when you really think of it. When they go in looking for evidence to make a case, they're going to look for whatever's on the floor. You know, are there toys on the floor? Can they be choking hazards? Okay, so, you know, they go in there just to look to find what they need for that case. But the father could be completely bullshit, right? The, the case could be completely nonsense. And both sides could even admit, yeah, it's, you know, this is because of the, uh, this is because of the custody battle. CPS doesn't care. They got a report, so they're going to investigate, and they're going to find somebody um, liable for this. One of the cases in my book is actually a, it's an extended um, uh, custody battle. The mother had custody. The child had some allergies, an allergy to eggs and to dairy, and the father didn't believe it. The the doctors believed it. The pediatrician believed it. The uh, endocrinologist believed it. The allergist believed it. Father didn't believe it. So on a visitation, takes them to Chuck E. Cheese and you know, gives the kid a slice of pizza. Well, the kid breaks out in a rash. So, you know, he's, uh, he's obviously not doing good. So they take him to the emergency room. The doctor says, you know, what's going on? You know, why, why is he like this? And the father says, because the mother is over-medicating him. Has him going to three doctors and uh, says that he's allergic to dairy, but he's not. Well, the doctor in that case, right, whether he believes the story or not, as a mandated reporter, he has to report that to Child Protective Services. He may be like, this story is bullshit. I don't believe it. But they have to report it or else, you know, they put their own license at risk. Sure. So then CPS gets involved and they start looking and they say, oh, yeah, he is going to three different doctors. So maybe this is happening. And in the book, they ended up... Um, accusing her of having Munchausen syndrome by proxy. I don't know if you've ever heard of. I'm, yeah, familiar with it. I've seen enough uh, documentaries on it, and it's a thing. People do do it. Doesn't sound like it was going on here. Well, it's actually very rare. It, it's it's one of those illnesses. Well, for the listeners that don't know, uh, Munchausen syndrome by proxy is where one of the parents ends up poisoning the child so that they can get attention from medical staff where the medical staff will say, oh, you're doing such a good job being, being a mother because your child is so sick and has been so sick for so long. They love that attention, so they end up uh, continuing to poison the, their child slowly so that they can get that attention. And this, you know, it wasn't that in this case at all. Um, the kid had actual allergies. DCYF took a look at the paperwork and, you know, took a look at each of the doctor's recommendations and disagreed with them. And and filed charges for Munchausen syndrome and filed for the termination of parents' rights. Um, it was about then I got involved, and we started to look at the case. And it was it 
was obvious that they just wanted to remove the child from the mother to the father's house, but we couldn't identify why or how or any real connections. So um, we ended up getting her an independent psyche valve to show that she didn't have any mental illnesses. Well, she had a little anxiety, but who would? would expect that. <laughs> yeah, right. They would expect that. So after they saw that, they ended up dropping the case. But it turns out that the father's aunt worked with the doctor at CPS, and he had contacted his aunt to contact the doctor to set up the case so that CPS would end up taking the child and placing the child with the father instead of um, instead of leaving it with the mother. You know, we can't prove it. We can't say, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, here's the paper trail. But we can see where the connection is. So we couldn't sue, but at least we won the case and the, um, and the mother was able to keep her child. <laughs> that one was a rough one. Wow. And you look at that and you go, okay, that, if there was any legitimacy in this system that, that workers were doing their level best under the situation as a matter of course, cannot happen. You go to the doctors, does the kid have a, 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 an area allergy? Yes, they do. Okay. Sorry. We were wrong. That, that, that's how much investigation that requires. And th th what maddening to me there is you can do a medical test to verify a dairy allergy, right? This is something we can do a little mm -hmm. skin prick, and we can go, this person is allergic to dairy. Here's the test results. This is, like, this is kind of, I want you to talk a little bit about the difference between what people think of a courtroom with criminal court mm -hmm. versus the type of courts that you end up, I call them kangaroo courts, um, in this mm -hmm. situation, because that in a criminal court would be thrown out and would possibly end up with if a prosecutor did take that case, might end up in, in deep trouble for even attempting mm -hmm. to prosecute that case once it was demonstrated. But oh, that's, yes. not it, it how, would be, that's not how family court works. Oh, it, it would actually be considered in criminal court to be malicious prosecution and frivolous prosecution. And, yeah, the prosecutor would, uh, would be up in front of the bar. Um, but let me back up to the case a bit okay. because there's – couple of things that I think that the that your listeners need to know. The power that CPS has is extreme. Okay, th these are not um, th these are not low-level people that, you know, you can they're not low-level bureaucrats. These are people that have a lot of power. They have direct connections to judges and they have the fear factor on their side. When they talk to um, when they talk to a doctor the doctor always has, what is CPS going to do to me hmm. if I go against them? Always has that in their mind. They always have, you know, if you think, well, I'll call, I'll contact my, uh, my congressman and I'll complain. Your congressman doesn't want anything to do with them because all it would take is for them to go, okay, well, we're going to come to your house and we're going to investigate you. That goes on the news. They're no longer a congressman. They lose the election. They have extreme power, you know, and... They have a lot of fear. People who are your closest friends will will tell you, "Yes, I'll write you a letter. I'll come to court." You know, I, I you know, I know that you didn't do this. However, in the back of their minds, they know. Um, maybe I shouldn't go because if they went after her, they're going to come after me. And the sad thing is, they're right. Um, the, in my book, you know, I do an acknowledgments page, and in the acknowledgments, 
I, you know, I, uh, I thank everybody who helped me out with the book, but I'm not allowed to say anybody's name in fear of retribution. And that didn't just happen once. You know, I, I mean, I have a couple of friends who just went through and were like checking for commas, you know, checking for misspellings, things like that. They didn't want their name in the book, even just being that connected, because they're afraid that Child Protective Services would come after them. It, it's, you know, it's very intense. And it's accurate. One of the doctors in that case of the Munchausen syndrome was required to, well, they were forced to uh, retire and not like, oh, you know, we're, you know, I'm going to retire in three months. Here's some referrals. He closed his doors within 24 hours mm-hmm. of talking to Child Protective Services. They said, if you go through this, we are going to destroy you. And instead of... Uh, Instead of going through, you know, the uh, the hassle with CPS, he closed his doors, retired, and he's never practiced since. Unbelievable. So, you know, and I constantly wait for the day that they're going to come up to my door. Not because I have anything, you know, that's going on with my kids, but because as soon as they read the book, I expect them to come to the door and say, you wrote that book. <laughs> We're going to investigate you. And it will be just flat-out retribution. But they know that it would it would be up to me to prove that, and that's a problem in court. When you go into um, when you go into criminal court, you know that you know it's up to the prosecutor's job to find you guilty. It's also the prosecutor's job to find you guilty, you know, in a reasonable doubt, right? They they gotta at least have good evidence to show that not only could you have done it, but yeah, you did it. Then they gotta they gotta get they gotta get twelve people to agree to that. Mm-hmm. That are regular people, just like you, the jury of your peers. Yes, yeah, but that doesn't happen in uh, family court. Family court is not set up on the criminal court system. You do not have those protections. You get a judge who oftentimes sees child protective services as kind of white knight. Mm. They're the heroes of the system because they're taking good children away from bad parents. So he's automatically biased, and the the uh, the evidence that is needed is, depending on the state, preponderance of the evidence. For some states, uh, Texas is one of them, it's uh, clear and convincing evidence. But for most states, it's just preponderance of the evidence. And the difference between the two is pretty much just wording. When More likely um, than not, right? It's kind of what they're saying. Like, if I'm 51%, then that's enough. Usually, yes. I mean, if you, if you went into a civil court for a car accident and, you know, you said, no, it's his fault and... They said, no, it's your fault. And you said, yeah, but um, you didn't have your brake lights done. And they go, oh, um, well, yeah, then you win because you've got just that little bit more of it. Now, family court is set up very similar, except that Child Protective Services is considered an expert witness. I don't make this stuff No, that's, that's disturbing. So, yeah, they, they come in. They take your child, and they ask you to do a couple of things for them. They, they're going to want a psyche valve, right? and they're going to want to talk to you about the case. Now, all this stuff goes into their evidence. Even if you were to say, you know what, I'm not talking to you, I'm not doing any of that stuff, you know, you and I can just go to court with what we got, you'll lose because the judge is going to say, okay, I have an expert witness on this side, I've got a non-expert witness on this side, evidence weighs out, expert witness is more, you lose the case. So in family court... You have to prove yourself innocent, and most people don't understand that. So it would behoove you to bring your own expert. Um, if you can find an expert, 
yeah that will yeah. that will stand up and, yeah, yeah that, that becomes see see how this no goes. i get it no it's it's you're bringing a knife to a gunfight and you've got a butter knife and they've got an ak that that's that's how bad it is well not well yeah white earp has has brought his you know his butter knife but doc holiday is saying you know what i don't want to lose my life yeah i i don't want to go yeah you know you go ahead i'm i'm going to stay over here because there's not going to be a witness on your side because they CPS is going to go in and say, if you don't agree with us, we're going to take away your license. We're going to investigate you. We're going to slander your name all over the place. You're going to lose all your customers, your patients, and you'll never work in this field again. You'll be a disgrace. What would, you know, what's an expert supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know I, you. I, I, I feel bad for you, but I'm not going to risk my entire career and my family for yours. Right. Now you can understand a person taking that stance. It's, yeah. and it's easy to say, I wouldn't, but you're not in the position to understand mm-hmm. what it's like to be in that position. And you got to remember, doctors, they didn't just, like, get out of high school and say, okay, you know, I'm going to be a doctor and, you know, just get a license. They went through four years of, you know, of college, four years of uh, grad school, four years of a specialty, four, you know, three years of a residency. They put in a lot of time. They put in over a decade of, of education to get that job. They're not going to risk it because one patient has a problem with child protective services. It's just not worth it. And as bad as all this is, there's something worse. And I was checking out your book when I got the application for you to be on the show, and I looked at the reviews to your book on Amazon, and I read a line that, like, it made me sick. And I didn't even know exactly what I was going to find out when I investigated it, but I knew it was true, and it was, your children are for sale. And Mm -hmm. I saw that, and I mean, I felt, honest to God, sick when I saw it. And the reality is, this is tied into the fact that CPS receives federal funding. So can you talk about how that influences this system, the, the fact that there's – I take a kid, there's money for my department. Yeah. Um, it, it's called the Adoption and Safe Families Act of 1997. It was Bill Clinton who, who signed it. That should give you a tip off right there, not to get too political. But um, what it's done is it's put a price on every child's head for – Every child that they remove and place into foster services, federal funding goes to from Title Title 4E um, funding, that's the Social Security Act, $4,000 of it goes to Child Protective Services, straight out. Now, if the, if the child has some sort of disability, you know, autistic, um, you know, has a learning disability, you know, has a strong enough pair of glasses, Child Protective Services will receive 6000 to $8,000, depending on the type of disability that they have. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but if you consider that, you know, it, would, it doesn't take much for them to take 20 kids, 20 times 4,000, that's $80,000 per month just for 20 kids. They don't just get paid by the federal government either. The document that, um, so go back to the document, when they take your child, they present something called a case plan. Now, this case plan is what they want to do in order for you to have your child back. It's bullshit. Don't sign it. Okay. Basically, it's a contract saying that you're guilty. If you sign that, you've said that you're guilty. Holy and you are crap. Going, and you're, um, you've basically thrown yeah. all your chances of, of going to court right down the t- But they present it as, okay, well, this, you know, we're not saying that you did it, but this is the stuff that we want you to do in order to get your child back. Well, as a parent, you're going to do whatever it takes to get your child back. They're, they're saying, okay, you know, well, you know um, if I go to counseling or if I go to rehab or if I go to... Um, you know, if I bend over backwards like this or that, 
you know, I'll get my kid back in like two months. Yes, fine. I'll sign it and I'll get it done. As soon as they do that, they've got you because you just agreed to do everything on their list. You just agreed that you're guilty and, you know, they've, uh, they're in the driver's seat. If you do all those things on that list, what ends up happening is that they change the list. They'll say, okay, that was the first step. Now here's another one that we want you to do. And it'll be a list of something different, still difficult, but they're going to keep the kid. And the reason that they do that is because they receive funding from the state. And that contract that you just signed gives them funding from the state budget for every child that they work with. So they can they can go back to the office and say, okay, I worked with um, Johnny's family for one hour and I can bill for that. I worked for Susie's family for one hour and I can bill for that. If you don't sign that, they can't do that. So if you don't sign it, they're going to take you to court because they want their money. This is how they get paid. If they, you know, if people didn't sign it, they wouldn't get paid and you know, they, they would just go broke. And, and I think that like, there's like, Probably a disconnect for some people here that don't get government. Sadly, I do. Um, the individual that's doing the job, that's actually going out and doing this, may not be sitting there thinking, I'm doing this to get money. Because they don't get a commission or something like that. But they are judged on their performance on this. Somewhere in that bureaucracy is an upper-level bureaucrat that understands where their funding comes from, that's setting policy for the entire department. And when you hear things going down, like right now, all the stuff about you know corruption in, in the FBI, for instance, they're saying, well, it's these, these top guys. It's not the rank and file. The rank and file of any bureaucracy will be a reflection of the people within that bureaucracy that set the policy for it. And if you mm -hmm. have cancer at the top, you know what happens to cancer in a person. It goes everywhere. And when you have a system like you're describing, there is no other outcome that a person could expect to occur than this one. This the, if you set this up this way, because this is how money works, this is how people work, this is how power works, this is the only result you should expect. That's why whenever I talk to somebody about their CPS case, the first thing I ask is, what are the charges? Did you sign that plan? Because if I know what the charges are, we can find a way to prove that they're not true. That's the easy part. If they sign that plan, that makes it a lot harder because now they're signing that, yes, they're willing to do what it is because they're guilty. And the people who come to the door, to the door, you got to think of them as you would a military. Okay, the, the people on the front lines, they're just doing what they're told. They're told to go here. They're told to go there. They're told to shoot at this specific group. They're told to shoot at that specific group. They're told to protect this, you know, this area here. They don't know why. They really don't. Most CPS workers have no idea about the money or that they get federal funding for each child removed. All they know is my boss is happy whenever I uh, remove a kid. So I must be doing something good. You know, I must be doing something that, um, that I can be proud of because my boss is telling me, yeah, um, you're doing a great job and you know, you're, you're saving a lot of kids when it's not about saving the kids. It hasn't been about saving the kids since Uh, 1995. It's about the money. Simple money. When they come to the door, that's all they're looking at. If you were to let them in, they're going to look at uh, whatever they can, say that it's unsafe, and take the job because they make their money that way. Yeah, I read in your article, you're like, you know, kids, homes with children in them are always messy. I mean, you know, my, my granddaughter comes over here. We have everything put away perfectly. We, we watch them every day. And five minutes after that little kid gets let loose, she's a two-year-old toddler. Every toy's yanked out. Things are everywhere. You know, we're doing our best to teach mm -hmm. and clean up. But, okay, now put yourself in a position. You're a single mother with three kids. There's going to be stuff on the floor. 
That's what kids do. And it's mm-hmm. not, there's not a danger to that child, but, well, now it's evidence in the hands of, and this, this kind of scares the hell out of me when you said this, of expert witness. So you're allowing the investigator to effectively be an expert witness. This is another example. Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't work in criminal court. Now, you might have a forensic investigator that's part of the department that can be seen as an expert witness, but the cop doesn't get to be an expert witness. The guy with a degree in forensics with laboratory results gets to be a forensic expert. Not just, well, who are you? Well, I'm the detective in charge of the case. Okay, gee, you're an expert witness. I mean, it's, 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 and then, oh, and your department gets money and you get promoted. And I mean, it's just, it, it is a, a sick thing that we even have this organization. Have you met CPS agents that when you got involved basically did the right have you ever met any that like basically are doing the right thing no um i wish i that's depressing (laughs) well because it goes back to what i said earlier they don't know they're just doing their job it goes back to to that old axiom of you know i'm doing my job and you know i don't want to know what's going on above me or beneath me i just want to go in do what i need to do get my paycheck go home get drunk sack out wake up and go out and do it again that's that's their focus it's the people that are above them that are saying yeah uh take the child because we need the money and we're not going to what we're going to do is we're going to hold this child for as long as possible and then we're going to adopt the child out there's there's been kids on in foster care three four five years that were on a reunification plan now, a reunification plan is one where CPS says, yes, we'll give you the child back as soon as you take care of all this stuff. And once they take care of that stuff, the plan switches almost immediately from reunification to the termination of parental rights. It's, because that's what, because that's where the money is. That's where the best thing for the bureaucracy is. There's, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a thinker named Jeffrey Pornell, but he had a thing called Pornell's Iron Law Bureaucracy. And the iron law worked like this. In any bureaucracy, any organization large enough, there will be two types of people, those committed to the mission and those committed to the bureaucracy itself. Right? Like the, the, the thing mm-hmm. is more important than the job. And the people that are committed to the bureaucracy will always be the ones, 100% of the time, that rise to the levels of power within the bureaucracy. And no bureaucracy is immune to this. So those people that are more committed to CPS is a thing, then the job CPS is supposed to do will always be the ones that end up in positions of power within the bureaucracy. And, you know, the man calls it an iron law. I, I'm not saying that there's not an exception to it. I am saying in 10 years of looking, I have yet to find one. Um, I haven't met one yet. And it's very sad. So as we get ready to wrap up here, can you tell people a little bit, you know, more about your book, maybe blend in a current case or something like that? And, uh, cause I think that like, Hearing what actually is happening to people is a wake-up call. Like What I said before you were on the air is I think everybody should get a copy of this book because there is a high chance that any parent is going to have to deal with some level of contact at some point. And knowing, like, So what I got out of you today more than anything else is, yeah, there's things we can do once this is in process, but the most important thing is heading it off before it gets ahead a, a of wind up. Mm-hmm. Uh, most lawyers don't understand how to fight child protective services because it's a completely different aspect than what they were taught in law school. They were taught the civil court. They were taught the criminal court. But this is a completely different set of rules. And if a criminal lawyer goes into court, you know, thinking, okay, you know, what, you know, I don't have to prove anything. All I have to do is, you know, 
is wait and show that they don't have enough evidence, the case is lost. If a civil attorney goes in there, they're not going to know exactly how to get all the information that they need. So you really have to find a very specific type of attorney, not just one that specializes in family law, but one that specializes in child protective services law. If I can give you know a tip, that would be my number one tip. Because if you go in there by yourself, you're going to lose. You're not going to be able to present any information, any witnesses, any evidence. The court's going to ignore you and you're going to lose. If you have the wrong attorney, same thing is going to happen, except that you'll be paying them a lot of money to do it. So you need to find the exact lawyer and then take a proactive stance on your case and actively disprove, find evidence to disprove whatever charges they come up with. One in three family are going to be uh, touched by some sort of DCYF claim in their lifetime. One out of three. It might not be direct. It might not be um, your own child. It might be your grandchild. You know, might be your nephew. But one out of three. That's a lot. Yeah, it's it's it, it's well, we talk about as being prepared for the for something to go wrong here, right? So that's a pretty high. Mm-hmm. And I talk about what they call you know probability of disaster. And I think you and I would both agree. CPS showing up at your door equals disaster. No matter the the best comes from it, it's still a disaster. At least a potential disaster. So if a one in three is the probability, it should be pretty high up on things that you prepare for, because I think the best thing people can do is, no matter how sure you are this won't apply to you, be prepared for it if it does. I, I, I carry mm-hmm. a gun, and if you try to hurt me or hurt my family or hurt somebody else, and I have no other choice, I will shoot you. I think the probability mm-hmm. that I ever have to do that is very, very, very low. But in the one in 10,000 chance that it happens that somebody's going to die in front of me because I couldn't defend them, I carry that gun. Mm-hmm. I think the odds that you'll have to deal with, So, and I know my audience, heavy Second Amendment folks, most of the people that are in this audience carry, you have a very slim need or very slim probability that you will need that weapon, but you carry it because of the possibility. I think mm-hmm. you have a really high probability that you or someone you love will face this and you need to be able to help them. So I, I really recommend people get a copy of your book. And if anybody is already involved, you know, I'm on uh, Fight CPS and Know Your Rights. I'm always there. I'm well, not always there, but are I'm the, there enough that are those Facebook just, are those Facebook groups? Yep, it's a Facebook group. Okay, just, uh, feel free to you know to send me a a private message. Um, there are a lot of good moderators on there that have um, that have experience with CPS and. Uh, they do a lot of good work to try to help people who are, um, who end up getting involved and don't know what to do, don't know what their next step is. And I'll look both of those groups up and make sure that they're in the show notes. And um, oh, It's actually the same group. It's oh, it's CPS one group? And, yeah, one group. Fight CPS and Know Your Rights. I'll find it, and I'll make sure that it ends. Oh, I found it right there. I got it. All right, I'll make sure that that link to that group is is available to people. And I wish what you had to say would have been in some way comforting, but it cannot be with something like this. But it does give people a pathway and an understanding and a knowledge of what to do. And I think that the fact that people would now know CPS shows up, be calm, be courteous, be polite, be firm, and have your phone in your hand videotaping the interaction alone is a priceless bit of advice because it does eliminate, well, that's not what happened. Well, actually, we can look at it. We can see exactly what happened now, can't we? And Mm -hmm. I think your other... Go ahead. It stops them cold. And your other advice about 
polite, calm demeanor, right? Like, cause I know, mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody came to me and told me I was abusing my kid, my initial response is I want to choke slam them. I'm talking WWF 1980s style, you know, Macho Man Savage choke slam is what I want. Oh, yeah. yeah I know right? what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Right? So that's what I want to do. But that's, that is not in my best interest. That is not in the best interest of my, my children. So what I would need to do then is be, really? And like you said, ask them questions. Ask them questions. I think one of the things that you said in your article that I want to kind of finish with here is you also need to be, I think you said, dumb like a fox. Right. So when you answer a question, do not provide any more information than is necessary. One of your examples was if they are they ask you, do you use drugs? Don't say, no, I don't use drugs. I went through rehab in 2001 and have been clean ever since because now you have a prior drug problem. You say, no, I don't use drugs. And that's it. Like Mm -hmm. the minimum amount of information necessary to answer the question. That's it. And if you can get away with it, ask them, why would you think that I use drugs? Uh, because then you're not giving them information. You're stopping them from gaining it. Now they have to answer you. Yeah, yeah. Why you know, do you think I'm using drugs? What makes you think that I'm using drugs? Why would you think that um, that there's a problem with my child? Well, I don't. You keep well, asking, then why would you ask, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So you keep asking those kind of questions, and the more that the more that that happens, the more frustrated they are, the less information they get, and the better off you come off in court. And always expect that you're going to go to court. You're not going to change CPS's mind by talking to them. All right. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today, Derek. And uh, thank you for coming on, on the show. And uh, I think that. Thank you for having me. I think that your advice will really help people. And again, I'm going to have links to the Facebook group and links to uh, where you can get Derek's book. Guys, please check it out. Again, Derek, thank you for being with us today. Again, you guys want to talk about an important topic. I mean, that's it right there. And. I mean, I'll just relate a quick story to you to how how deep-seated this fear is and and how much we need to get control of it so that if you do end up confronted, you can, you know, deal with it appropriately and not make some of the mistakes we talked about today that all of a sudden let the the camel's tent into the nose and then, of course, the whole thing's there not long thereafter. Uh, A few years ago, my son, around Christmas time when everything's crowded and what have you, um had his son uh, at Costco, and I think Bray at the time was like four, something like that, and he decided to throw a tantrum and a fit in the store. And and, and Matthew, being a level-headed guy and, and not wanting to disturb other people, simply picked him up, walked out of the store with him. Just walked out of the store with him. He can throw a fit all he wants, walk over by their car, set him down, and had a very simple conversation with him. Son, you know, we're not going to behave this way, and you can either settle down and we'll go back inside, or we're going to get in the car and we're going to go home. I'm sure a well-meaning couple followed him to his car, and apparently when they were standing there watching what was going on, they wrote down his license plate number. Um, so a little tip there might be is if you ever have to do this, stand next to somebody else's car, you know, let them write the wrong person's car down. Uh, nothing ever came of it, but it was about a week of kind of living on eggshells going like, am I going to get a visit over this? Because it is something that simple where a parent did exactly what they should have done. We're not talking about a kid getting a a belt on his butt or something like that. We're talking about basically a time out and done so at the consideration of other people in a public place. I'm not going to let my kid scream and yell in the middle of a store. We're just going to leave. And then we're going to talk about it, and we're either going to go home 
or we're going to go back in. But we're not going to cause a scene in public because that's called being a good, solid disciplinarian. Very proud of my son for the way he handles, you know, being a father now. But the fact that not only would somebody stick their nose into that, but something as simple as a phone call could result in a knock on the door, and if you think you have to and you let them in, dirty dishes could lead to a cascade of events that, oh, there's something wrong here, and then the burden of proof becomes yours, not the state's. This is different than when you're accused of a crime. When you're accused of a crime, the burden of proof is on the state. Prove the crime was committed. Once you're accused of being a, a, a negligent parent or an abusive parent or something, like that, the burden of proof is on you to prove that you're not. And it's, it's, it's very difficult to prove a negative. And that's why the state has such an advantage here. And then the whole PR campaign, and if something must be wrong, it must be your fault. It's, it's, it's the state being the state. Remember, Spirico's fifth law of life. All power granted to the state will be used with corruption and incompetence. This is one of those powers I really don't think the state should have. And if it's going to, not in the way that it does. And if you don't, you know, if you don't believe that after hearing what you heard today, I really don't know what to say. Anyway, moving along, if you, if you do enjoy this show and you like the work that we do, please consider supporting us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you do that, you'll help support the Survival Podcast no matter what you buy. And I do have items of the day up for review. This is one I've brought around a bunch of times before. I'm bringing it back around because we're heading into hurricane season. And right now, of course, everybody's hauling ass out of the Carolinas, and, and you should be. I've heard that most people are heeding evacuation orders. If you're one of them that's there and you're not, you're stupid. Leave. Now. Get out. I just had to throw that little PSA in it. If you are where evacuation orders have been issued for this storm and you're not in your car leaving right now or already have, you are wrong. You are stupid. And we're going to have our people and other responders trying to save your ass in a few days. So get out. The less people that stay, the better. But here's what I think is going to happen. This is going to be a major epic storm yet again. And everybody's going to go, And do everything they can to help. And it's going to be like there's going to be another one that hits right behind it somewhere else. And that one's going to get not quite the attention. Okay? Think of Hurricane Harvey and the storms that came after that one. And so you're going to have to support yourself if you're in this area. One of the primary things that we need to be able to deal with, even if we're not in the major disaster impact areas of these storms, is being without power. So I am a huge fan of the Anchor Astro E7 portable charger. This thing will charge an iPhone ten times. I get over a day out of my phone on a single charge if I'm not playing around and farting around, if I'm actually just using it as a phone. So ten, ten charges, ten days from one charge. You can charge it from your car. Um, when I had Stephen Harris on last time, we were talking about bugging out. He said he liked this product, except he didn't recommend it anymore because it doesn't have a percentage charger. It just shows you basically, you know, one bar, two bar, three bars, four of charge. I find that to be ridiculous, honestly. I, you know, just I just cur- I courteously disagree with Steve on that because it's not going to change how you use it. There is not another product that gives you. This much backup power for this price that's this good, that this well-backed by a company like Anchor. You're talking about 26,800 milliamp hours. You're talking about being able to charge, you know, an iPad three times. Okay, to put the power in perspective. And this is one of the features on it I really like. It has two 
ports for input for charging. If you hook up a cable to each one and put them both to a charger, yes, both of them go, and it charges the whole battery pack faster. So it is a fantastic charger. For how much it holds, it's very compact. You can see a picture of it in a review that I did. I recommend this is what you do. I also have a little anchor, anchor plug-in uh, charger that I recommend. You plug it into your cigarette lighter. It takes two uh, charging cords. You take that, you put that in your car, you leave it there. You plug into it, and you plug this thing into your charger, your, your anchor charger, or whatever charger you have. And when you get in your car and you're driving around, you charge your phone while you're driving around like most of us do, plug into the ba battery pack. It's like, it's like using a rain barrel that's hooked up to a bigger water container. Then it's always getting refilled as you go. Okay? Uh, and that way, when something goes wrong, you have that much power at your disposal all the time. You do that with one in each vehicle, and you're going to be able to keep your basic electronics operational during a disaster so that you can figure out what to do with all the other problems that you're going to have. If this was not the best product for this use that I know of, I would just recommend the one that's better. I've been recommending this one for two years now. I am constantly on the lookout for one that I honestly believe that dollar for dollar and on reliability is a better product. I have not found one yet. When I do, I will tell you, and I won't apologize if you bought this one, because this one will last you years. I have one that's over two years old. It's in my truck, just like I just described it. It still works. It still holds a charge. It still has a massive capacity. It's out there probably when it shouldn't be in the heat in Texas with the door closed, and I don't run the truck that much. And if it'll survive that, it'll survive the use that most of you give it. Communications are your lifeline, both information in and information out in a disaster. We're heading into this time of year. Get the Astro E7 if you don't have it already. You can find it at tspaz.com. And as long as you do your online shopping at tspaz, you help support the Survival Podcast no matter what you buy. That brings us to our song of the day. The song of the day today is Why Me by Sticks, And it's another one of those times where what John Adam picked oddly fit the show. Uh, I, I can't think of a situation where you might not say, why me, uh, harder uh, than you get a knock at your door and it's somebody from the government that's supposed to be there to help. In the words of Ronald Reagan, uh, those are the most terrifying words that a person can hear. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Uh, so I can understand why me that way. And, and then this song's about hard times coming and you, know, you can be on the top of the world one day and everything knocks you down the next. And you're, it's okay for you to say, why me? But that's a totally natural human response. That's what this song's about. Like, it's okay. And by the way, it'll probably get better, but it's all right to feel that way. And I agree to a point. I agree to a point. I think that if, you, if your initial reaction to bad things is generally why me, you will experience more bad things. You will set your life up for failure. When I saw this selection for a song by John today, I looked at it and said, immediately, the thing that I think would create the greatest contrast with it is the, the, the poem by Rudyard Kipling, If. And so I decided to do something that I've actually never done with a song of the day before today. I want to create a contrast, a dramatic contrast. Uh, I found an audio rendition of Sir Michael Caine reading the poem If. 
When I heard him read it, I'm like, that's the guy I want to do this with. But I noticed that the segment was about four minutes long. And when I noticed that, I'm like, well, he's going to have to be talking about this, and I probably really won't do that, but I'll just, I'll just grab that audio, and I'll just edit that out. Well, as he got to the end, they kind of switched the camera angle, and he discusses what the poem means to him as an actor. He talks about how you know having your words tr twisted by knaves and made a trap for fools describes the press. And he has some comments on war as well. And I realized that it made the contrast that I was looking for even more dramatic. So this is what I'm going to do today that's a little bit different. I'm going to play Sir Michael Caine reciting Rudyard Kipling's poem, If, and then that'll fade into the song of the day and look at the contrast. Because in the end, why me, while a perfectly natural human reaction, doesn't change something that's so critically important to understand. Even when things that go wrong in your life are not your fault, they are still your responsibility. Because if you're not going to deal with them, who is? You can say it's not fair, it's wrong, why me, until you are blue in the face. But in the end, if there is going to be a point where you are picked up off the ground and go forward and put things back together, it's going to be you that has to do it. Even if others help you, the one that actually has to do the doing is you. And it's up to you if you will do that or not. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good, nor look too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you gave your life for broken, and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at the beginning and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are done and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with forty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, You'll be a man, my son. The Kipling poem is, is one of my favourites since, since I was a, a boy at school. My father read it to me once. And I think it, it, to me as a little boy, it summed up what a man should be.
And later on, when it when I became an actor, it, 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 there were a couple of lines in there that, that affected me. It's, uh, one was, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, it's a very good thing for an actor because an actor's life doesn't consist of any medium things. Everything is either a hit or, or absolute disaster. So there was that one. And then there is another line, which is, if you can hear the words you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, well, that's the press as far as actors are concerned. <laughs> Because you're always seeing something, and you go, "Wait a minute! I never said that." <laughs> and so it, it 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 stayed with me all my life, right until this very day. You know, the war for a start took my dad away for six years. I never forgave it for that. You know, war disrupts everything. I was evacuated on my own and ill-treated and all that sort. Everything went wrong. You know, peace, things go right. I was a soldier when I was 19. I, I spent my 19th year in Korea as a, as a fusilier infantryman. And so I know what I'm talking about when I talk about war. And it's the most disgusting thing that you could ever think of. And I've also noticed with every single war has been declared by men who are too old to go. And it's made me suspicious. <laughs> I guess we used to be the lucky ones. Stop, stop. A voice said you best beware.